0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host author Emma Polova. Today is a very special day. The podcast show is celebrating its 100th episode. Can you believe that? I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavan and The Lowell Ledger, our hometown newspaper in Lowell, Michigan. Today, I will be chatting with author Matt Lubers moore about Requeer Tales, who will announce the details of his book giveaway at the end of the interview. Matt is a book lover with two master degrees who has worked with and around books most of his life. Requeer Tales is striving to preserve the literary heritage of the LGBTQ community by publishing out-of-print titles or publishing new works of older series. Hello, Matt, how are you on this beautiful spring day?
1: Well, I feel very honored to be here on your 100th uh, anniversary, your oh, 100th yeah. episode.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you, how cool, how very cool. All right, tell us how your project got started. You said, you mentioned that you have a joke about it or so. <laughs> and that we will chat about that, how it all started.
1: Yeah, so uh, Requeer Tales uh, kind of got started by a joke. Uh, that I was talking about how so many of the books that we loved uh, uh, from the nineties and the eighties and the seventies are just really hard to find, and they're super expensive. Yeah. And so we thought, well, what if we publish them? What if we what if we came out with them? And and uh, and so I kind of joked about it. And uh, the one of my business partners, Alexander in uh, Toronto, says, "Well, you know, you know, I I worked in IT, and I've I can turn them into digital digital copies." And Justine says, "Well, I can draw up the contracts and and get all of the books." Uh, rights and stuff and and I said well I'm a librarian so I can like help track down the books and so we kind of looked at each other and went oh are we actually doing this and so we kind of looked at what we could do and came up with about 10-15 books that we kind of would want to bring back and went let's try and so in 2018 uh we started putting it all together and we came out with our first book in 2019
0: Wow. How many titles do you have now and how many
1: authors? So we uh, we have roughly 75 titles available. OK. And then we have just we have about 25 authors right now. Um, and we have a lot more titles to be published.
0: OK. How do you search for new authors or for these projects? How do you go about it?
1: Well, it started off with us trying to find the authors that we loved, but their books are so hard to find. So mm-hmm. the first author that we started with was an author named Grant Michaels, and his books are they came out in the uh, '80s, and they're just really hard to find. And so we started, um, and that was a uh, that was fun trying to track down his rights as well because uh he had passed away in the 90s from aids and so by the time we we got the rights i mean it, we had to, uh we sent a letter to his mother um uh and it turns out that she had just passed away uh about a year or two ago before we had gotten a hold of tried to reach out to her uh so his brother uh we got a hold of his brother um who he didn't have the, he thought he had the rights but it turns out he didn't have the rights so he passed this off on to someone else so it's always kind of uh fun trying to track down who has uh li- the literary rights so okay th- so the one fun thing i always tell people is is you know if you're an author please 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 state very clearly who your a literary estate is um But so we came up with him. Uh, There's an author called JB uh, named JB Laws who wrote uh, a couple horror novels. Um, And so we started off uh, with our core list of five that we wanted to publish. And then we went from there. And so some authors have come to us saying that their books have been out of print for a long time and they want them back in print. Um, Sometimes it's just an author that someone might contact us and say hey I really like this author what about them and so that's really how we discover uh who we want to publish it's just word of mouth
0: okay why did you change your original focus I believe you first did mysteries right
1: yeah so we focused on mysteries because the three of us were big mystery fans Mm -hmm. and so our our five core people were mostly mystery, you know, uh, J.B. Laws was horror, um, but kind of fit in a little bit of genre of fiction. Um, but then we were approached um, by uh, someone who said, well, you know, Flavius Picano has a ton of books that are out of print. And wouldn't it be wonderful if you could reach out to him and see if he could uh, do them? And he he wrote literary fiction. And so we thought, well, okay. I mean. We'll do literary fiction too, and then uh, Felice Bacano. Pica- so we started publishing his works, and then a couple other authors who are literary fiction. And by the time, and then um, Felice Bacano also wrote science fiction. And so we're like, okay, well we'll dabble in science fiction. And then mm-hmm. another author that we uh, really like, Traybor Healy, who we have not published any of his works yet, but we're uh, we're going to be soon. Uh, wrote some fantasy novels. And so we thought, oh, okay. well, I guess we're now doing mystery, literary, fiction, horror uh, and fantasy. And uh, so. (laughs) So So you covered it. You covered it up.
0: (laughs) I like that. And now excuse my ignorance, but what is post Stonewall gay and lesbian fiction? I don't know. Stonewall. What was that?
1: Oh, so Stonewall uh, was in 1969, in June 1969, and it's a bar in New York, and the mm-hmm. one night the police raided it, uh, it was a gay bar, and the police raided it, and the, uh, the patrons of the bar had had enough, and so they rioted, and so it's, the Stonewall riots uh, sparked off the gay right movement in the United States.
0: Oh, okay. What is the biggest challenge in doing this, what you're doing overall? So the, big, <laughs>
1: the, so the biggest challenge is finding the authors. Right. Um, and then tracking down who has the their the rights to their right. literary estate. Um, the second part is, you know, so many there's not a lot of LGBTQ uh writers because they right. were not able to write you know not a lot of mainstream publishers would have published their works and so they were excluded and so there's not as many and then sometimes the few that we do track down uh they don't really care they don't feel that their work reflects them anymore and so they don't want their books published any again and so so we kind of run into those issues where either they're really hard to track down there's a lot, there's a lack of them, or the people don't want the books published, republished. That's the hardest part of our, what we do.
0: Sounds like that makes sense. Yeah. So what is the most gratifying part of doing this?
1: So the one thing I I was worried about is that we deal with a lot of, uh, not a lot, about half of our authors are deceased, uh, either from AIDS or you know the old age or whatever Uh, we just lost um, one of our authors from COVID in 2020 Uh Um, so the difficult part is going to the um, the families and saying Uh hey we want to publish your brother or your uncle's or your cousin's books um, and we need your permission because you are you know you're their heir you know they didn't have children they didn't have any other family and the one thing i'm always ter- you know scared about is i'm reaching out to a lot of these families who might be in texas or in mm-hmm. you know, rural america or something like that and and scared that you know i'll get pushback or you know really uh homophobic comments or things like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so far the gratifying part is is that i've uh, everyone is so excited when we say, hey, we're going to be republishing, you know, your brother's books or something like that, because, you know, they see it as their their sibling living on right. Um, right. Uh, JB Laws, who I mentioned earlier, you know, he passed away in the 90s. I sent an email to his to his brother and I didn't really think anything of it. I just wrote, you know, JB Laws in the in the subject line and sent an email and he emailed me back almost right away and he goes you brought tears to my eyes Aww. he goes i have I, i've never seen my brother's name in an email subject line before and and i just love everything you're doing and so we end up building this great relationships with the families and the estate holders because there's they're so excited to see their their families and their friends works back in print
0: Wow, what a legacy. Yes. Yes, that is amazing. What was the biggest surprise that came out of this type
1: of work, what you're doing? Um... How much work it turned out to be? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of expected that. Other than that, any other surprises? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
1: it, it turned out to be a lot more work than what we than what I thought it was. I'm pretty sure my business partners knew exactly what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other surprise was um, um, just how wonderful these books are a lot of them came out before I was born I was okay. you know I was born the was in the early 80s and a lot of these authors have already been published mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. by the time I came of age these the authors were deceased
0: or um, mm-hmm.
1: no longer publishing and and so I'm reading a lot of these books and you know the a lot of these books were written in the 80s and 90s and you know I was uh, very young and so I'm reading, these books and learning so much about gay history and Mm -hmm, gay mm -hmm. culture that I was not aware of. And Uh so that's one thing I've really enjoyed. And that surprised me was how much I've actually learned from uh, publishing all these older books.
0: Okay. And what do you feel you did right? Absolutely right. No one else could have done it like you. (laughs) I mean, this is a really difficult project.
1: Yeah. I don't think we, what we did right was starting the company. Um, right. mm-hmm. It started off as a joke, you know, and just something as a, as a lark. Mm-hmm. It's, it's every day. It's gratifying. Every email I get from people who say, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you brought this book, these books back. Or I remember reading these 20 years ago when I was just coming out. Um, so it, it means a lot to me. And so I think just starting the company and, and republishing these Mm -hmm. books was something that we absolutely did right.
0: Absolutely. What would you have done differently?
1: Um, maybe started off with a little bit more authors than what we, than what we Mm -hmm. thought of at first, instead of the five, maybe, you know, saying, okay, let's get 10 authors on board before we start. Um, just because it's been, it's, it's getting more and more difficult finding authors to publish, um, and who want to be republished. So that's one thing that we're kind of struggling with now is that, you know, we're, I mean, I'm not saying we're scraping the bottom of the barrel because they're all amazing authors that we publish, but it's getting harder to find more authors who are either willing to be republished, who haven't been published, um, uh. Um, and like um, you know we really wanted to republish uh, Joseph Hansen who was the founding father of the game mystery genre Um, and we got scooped by um, Soho Press and I mean you can't beat you know a major publisher like Soho right Um, but so it's like so we're uh, so we're so as we're doing this other publishers uh, are now also doing this finding uh, unknown authors and there's one author who we just, who we just found, who someone recommended to us. And we thought, Oh my goodness, these books are amazing. And I, I devoured all three books in the trilogy in a weekend and they're so good. And, and then we looked it up and we're like, Oh, they just signed with uh, random house, like uh, a couple of months ago, you know, to bring these books back. So we're now competing with the big boys in, you know, in finding these really amazing authors.
0: So you have a heavy competition in doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, we're
1: starting to get more competition as we as we uh, go in and more. Okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. Would you do it all over again?
1: Absolutely. No thoughts. No. No. No, no regrets.
0: regrets no. None at I all. I would.
1: I would definitely do this again. With the, the amount of emails we get, just saying thank you. The amount of families that we've talked to that are just so excited about their siblings and their cousins and their friends books being republished. I would absolutely do this again.
0: And you're also a writer yourself, correct? Correct. Yep. You have published murder and mayhem bibliography. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So that was a uh, book of love uh, for myself. Um, I interviewed another bibliographer of gay mysteries and uh, back in 2014, and he said that he, with the advent of ebooks and digital copies, it was getting harder and harder to track these books, because he only wanted to do the ones that were in physical uh, formats. So, you know, okay. hard, hardbacks, paperbacks. And it was getting harder and harder to, you know, track those versus the ebooks. And so he decided, you know, he was uh, getting older, and so he decided to retire from that but he said he really loved for someone else to carry it on. And so uh, in 2014, I started reading his bibliography and I read a few other bibliographies uh, about gay mysteries and came out with mine uh, in 2020, uh, February of 2020, I released it. And it's over 3000 titles of different books that have uh, a gay character either in the main role a secondary or a tertiary role Mm -hmm. in the book and so i absolutely so yeah i absolutely love the book um and uh yeah so it goes all the way back from 1908 or 1909 to 2018 and the first story i could find was a it wasn't sherlock holmes but it was a kind of sherlock holmes story. A short story written by Arthur Conan Doyle, and that okay. was the first story I could find that featured gay characters in a in a gay in a wow. mystery. Wow,
0: that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, and the great thing was because it mm-hmm. wasn't Sherlock Holmes, uh, it okay. was actually uh, copyright free at that point, point. and so okay. I was able to include it in my bibliography. Mm-hmm. So the short story is in its entirety in the in the back of the book.
0: That's awesome. What are some of the takeaways from your projects? I mean, we touched on some, right? The legacy, anything else you can think of? Um,
1: well, with my bibliography, the great thing was exploring how character, how gay characters kind of formed from the beginning, you know, in mysteries where they were kind of either the, vic- they were the victim or the, and then they slowly became, more of the abuser, the attacker, the ones, you know, the killers. Okay. Um, And then like Agatha Christie included a couple gay characters and they were always kind of like the guy down the street, the florist or, you know, the haberdasher. Um, And then to today when they're, you know, able to be, you know, the main characters in their own right. And that's what's been amazing. And most of the takeaways from the Requeer Tales is just, how much joy we get, we get out of it. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of joy.
0: Absolutely. What is the most interesting or bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person author event? Do you do those in-person events?
1: I've done a few. Um, I, I've done, um, I go to Ann Arbor uh, for their Carrington Book Fest. Um, I've also done a couple of Gay Pride events. Mm -hmm. um the funniest thing i've had happen is um i was a used book salesman for a few years as well and i had books by an author named greg heron Mm -hmm. who's a a gay mystery writer and i had his books out prominent and and i most of them were signed because um i used to work for a packing shipping company too so i would I would ship books out to authors and they'd sign them and ship them back to me. And so I had all these beautifully signed books of his and someone comes up and it turns out that they're related to Greg Heron and they were super excited. They're taking pictures and they're texting with their with Greg and he's like, look, at, I'm, I'm at this I'm at this gay pride thing in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they got all your books signed. And so that was probably the funniest thing I've had happen. That is cool. All right, would you like to read to us? Sure, so um, I'm going to read, it's, uh, the author is Peter McGahee. He he was raised, he was born and raised in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, Mm -hmm. and moved to Toronto, uh, Canada. And his book is a little bit um, based on him and his friends, but it's fictionalized. Um, but this is, he just, he ends up flying home, uh, for a family get together. So I'm going to read just a little bit of that story. this is him and him on the airplane or getting to the airplane. And this is the nineties. So there's some things that don't exist anymore on planes. Uh, I sit in the back seat of the arrow fleet car, restless and agitated. I can't get comfortable for the life of me. Quite a storm coming in says the driver. Are the planes leaving on time? As far as I know, I'm almost an hour early checking in, yet still get a lousy seat. After going through U.S. Customs, I head down to the gate, take a seat in the waiting area, and look out at the runways. They're completely engulfed in clouds. Planes seem to land out of nowhere. Just poof, and there they are. By the time my flight's called, I've halfway decided not to fly today, but to wait until tomorrow when the weather's better. Then I see the confident flight crew march down the ramp, the captain in the cockpit doing his pre-flight paperwork, the grandmothers and small children pre-boarding, and I realize I'm just being paranoid. I go over to the bank of pay phones to call Clay's office and thank him once again for the exquisite lunch, the chemistry we have, and for just being such an all-around great guy. The receptionist informs me that he's left for the day, which is strange since he never leaves before six, and it's not yet five. May I take a message? She asks. No, no message. He probably just had too much wine with lunch and went home to sleep it off. I dial the number there and listen to it ring. Listen to my recorded voice on the answer machine, debate about whether to leave a message or not and decide against it. I board the airplane. My middle seat is between a nun and an obese businessman. I grab a magazine and strap myself in. I pay no attention to the safety demonstration. I've seen it a million times. The nun nervously fingers her rosary as we taxi out onto the runway. If it weren't safe to fly, I start to tell her, but the businessman cuts me off. You think they want to refund all these tickets, he says? They just send you on the next flight, I inform him. You think they went to go to all that much trouble, reticketing all these people? Don't worry, I say to the nun. Everything will be fine. The nun's brow becomes even more furrowed, and she crosses herself. The engine roars, the plane shakes, we hurtle down the runway, full power, and then lift. There's an enormous explosion of thunder, followed by a second, then a third. I'm certain the plane is blown to bits, yet somehow we're still flying. I open my eyes, the interior is pitch dark, a crackle of lightning ignites it for an instant. Another bolt of thunder explodes. Rain pelts the window so hard it's like being inside a car wash. Sweet Jesus, Praise the nun, still fingering her rosary. The call button be- bings nonstop. Stuck, probably. The flight attendants look at each other helplessly. If only they'd served us a drink. This is First Officer Richards," says a reassuring voice over the sound system. As you've probably noticed, we're experiencing some turbulence en route to Chicago. Please remain in your... The plane lurches violently to the left, then to the right, then a quick swoop back to the left, then straight up, engines churning with all their might. The businessman stuffs candy bars in his mouth like there's no tomorrow, and maybe there's not. I reach in my backpack for my memo pad and spend the next hair-raising 45 minutes trying to compose a will. I keep changing my mind on who to leave what, scratching it out and starting over. But what about clay? What do I leave clay? Why did I never tell him I loved him? Another huge burst of thunder and the plane drops with what must be 40 feet. The passengers scream. I just faint. Wake up, we're all going to die. The fat man slaps me back into reality. The first officer again over the sound system chuckles. Quite the storm out there, ladies and gentlemen, but don't you worry. We've got everything under control up here. The plane drops again. My stomach turns inside out the nun emits a blood curdling cry then takes a series of deep breaths four rows in front of me i see the airphone could i possibly hurdle the businessman run up the aisle get my credit card in the slot wait for the handset to be released get a dial tone dial get clay on the line and blurt out i love you before being stopped The minute I go for it, people start screaming, sit down, you'll kill us all, but I will not be deterred. True love knows no bounds. I managed to get my credit card in the slot before being attacked by one of the flight attendants. She tries to restrain me, but I throw her off. I hop nervously in place, waiting for the handset to be released. When it finally is, I press the dial tone button. With the handset pressed tightly against my ear, I listen for that precious sound. I punch in our number. And then some of the passengers actually start cheering. The phone rings once, twice. Some of the passengers start yelling out numbers of their own loved ones for me to try. And then it's the stupid answer machine. I listen to my overly long and jovial message wanting to kill myself. The first officer has finally managed to sneak up on me. He yanks my arm behind my back. I drop the handset, screaming in pain, and stumble over some lady's legs scrawled out in the bulkhead. That's when I think I hear the beep. I love you, I yell at the receiver, which lies all alone in the middle of the aisle. I love you. I love you. We love you, Clay. My fellow passengers scream out in support. We love you. It's a madhouse of Thanksgiving, as the first officer escorts me back to my seat, muttering something about a straitjacket. The flight attendant hangs up the phone with a scowl, yanks my credit card out of the slot, and throws it at me.
0: How cute! I love that! Wow! Oh, alright! would you like to announce the details of your book
1: giveaway absolutely so um well if you email me the first person who emails me will get uh if you go to requeertales.com and find a book that interests you i can send you a free digital copy of your choice you okay. just have to email me at matt at gmail.com and Gene is g-e-n-e
0: and Matt, if people want to contact you because of what you do, the same thing, they can email and go to your website. If they have a suggestion, they want an author reprinted, they do the same thing.
1: Absolutely. You can go to MattGeneMore at gmail.com mm-hmm. and email me. You can go to our website and click on the contact us mm-hmm. uh, link, and that'll take you to uh, our Tales at gmail.com. Okay. Ah, uh, you can also go to our Facebook page at okay. uh, ReQueer Tales. On there, uh, we also have Twitter and Instagram, and we can you can contact okay. us on any of those.
0: Okay, well, how about parting shots from each one of us? You go first.
1: Oh, I just want to say that I had a great time and uh, very happy to be on your 100th episode.
0: I know, I'm so happy. And my parting shots are Write Indie, Buy Indie, and Read Indie and your local newspapers. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening and happy 100th episode. Thank you, Matt, so much for being a part of this magic.
1: Thank and you call so much. It magic.
0: Thank you, Matt. Thanks.